So uh, I, I just want you to know, some of you saw me up here, I wasn't actually checking my messages on my phone, <laughs> but our recording uh, equipment has somehow malfunctioned, and uh, so we're going to try to record the message today on my cell phone, and uh, then we'll see if Jim's smart enough to get it off there onto our website. Uh, but that's what I was doing, is getting that started, and so I'm watching these little lines run across, so I hope it doesn't distract me too much. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Uh, This is the last week of Jesus' life. And uh, we read that he sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. All people are like grass and all of their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Would you pray with me now, please? Father, again, we, um, we um, look to you, Lord, as we always do. You are our King, you're our Heavenly Father, you're our Savior, our friend. And so, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful treasure of your word. Open our hearts, help us to yield our, our wills to you, speak to us, help us to understand. And allow me as a preacher, Lord, to disappear behind the cross of Jesus Christ, so that he and he alone would be exalted in our midst this day. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen. So I don't believe that I have ever started a message with a disclaimer before, uh, but there's a first time for just about everything. You know what I mean by a disclaimer, don't you? Merriam-Webster defines it as a statement that is meant to prevent an incorrect understanding of something. (laughs) So we see and hear them all the time at the end of car commercials, right? And you recognize them there by the way they speak in the low voice, as if they didn't really want you to hear them, and very fast, (laughs) so that it's hard for you to understand them if you do hear them. Now, the law requires them these days with those kinds of commercials, but the people who sell those items would really rather not do them, and maybe with good reason. But when they do do them, they do them uh, in the least that they can do, and they do it at the end of the commercial, and they do it as quietly and as quickly as possible. Now, my disclaimer is going to be a little different. I'm going to start with it, and I won't talk fast. Well, at least I'm faster than I usually do. And although I have a soft voice, that's the way my lovely wife puts it, I'll try not to speak any softer than normal. 
See, I won't follow the lead of the car salesman and others because I want you to hear what I have to say. I, I want to do whatever I can here this morning to prevent any misunderstanding. That's the purpose of my disclaimer. And the reason I'm beginning with this disclaimer is because I'm going to talk to you today about giving. But this is not a plea for money. That's the first part of my disclaimer. The truth is, although we are not a wealthy church, God has certainly blessed us. In 2011, we paid off our mortgage. And that whole idea came from you. Not the elders or deacons or pastors, but from people in our congregation uh, who approached the leadership and said, let's pay it off. And we did. In a little over a year's time, through your faithful giving, we did it. And we did it in a recession at a time when people were losing their jobs. It is unlikely a time to undertake a, such a thing as you can imagine, but God bless us. And then we built an addition without going into debt. One large donation kind of got things started, a few other fairly good-sized ones followed, but almost two-thirds... Uh, that total project cost came from small, regular, faithful gifts from all of you. And we replaced the roof on the church, on the old part of the church. And we put in a new parking lot. Last week we put in a new air conditioning unit. And we did some badly needed landscaping, all without borrowing money, all because of your generosity. You know, the leadership of this church does not have to wring its hands wondering how it will pay the bills, although it's less than 10 years ago that that was the case. And I'm spared. I'm spared the chore of having to ask you for financial support on a regular basis, something which I would not only dread, but I'd be dreadful at. God really has blessed us, and for that we ought to be thankful. So I, I, I'm telling you up front that this is not a plea for money. I appreciate very much your generous and faithful giving. But it also seems to me, and this too is part of my disclaimer, that whenever a pastor speaks about money, someone shows up that Sunday who thinks and often says to others, all those churches ever want is my money. What amazes me is how frequently that happens compared to how rarely most pastors do talk about it. I mean, I talk about money when the text deals with it as we go through a series, but not more often than that. And it's a surprisingly rare topic. I think it's come up two other times in the last three years. I'm not sure, but that's, uh, that's my guess. Now, some pastors do a yearly message or a short series on stewardship because it's an important part of Christian living. And yes, it is true, some pastors talk about money all the time, and they are charlatans out there uh, who are only interested in your bank account, but they're really the exception. I, I used to worry, I have to tell you, I used to worry about these people showing up when I knew I was going to talk about money, and I can't tell you how many times I found out later just such a person was there that particular Sunday, of all the Sundays that could have been there. But I don't worry about it anymore. I figure it this way. 
If they genuinely only ever hear about money when they go to churches and pastors talk about it no more than we actually do, then God must figure they really need to hear that message. (laughs) I have to tell you, I'm no longer concerned about it. If I knew they were going to be there that Sunday, I might well change the message for them because I don't want to rile people's feathers. I want them to hear the word. But I'm not privileged to that information. But God does know. And he knows what I'm speaking on. And he knows they're going to be there. And he could stop them from coming if he wanted them. Of course, it could be that... They're just sensitive about the topic and hear it even when it's not really the subject. And some people genuinely have been hurt uh, by bad people in bad churches. I started my Christian walk in a church where they really care only about your money. The wounds that people experience are, are real. But God is greater still and he'll bring healing even with the worst of injuries, if only you let him. You know, I think you have to say to people like that, and I have said it, if you really think that all a church wants is your money, then don't give it to that church. Give it to another one. Or or give it to some other kind of Christian organization, and you won't find any organization that does a better job of passing your dollars through to those people who need the help. But find some other group uh, which feeds and clothes the poor or helps others who are in need in some other way, such as hospitals or orphanages and schools. But don't lose out on the blessing of giving. Don't let others suffer when you can help. Don't miss doing good when it's in your power to do good. You know... I think most pastors would agree with this statement. If your heart is not in your giving, then maybe it's better that you don't give. Unless, by your giving, you're trying to put your heart into it. Now that, God would honor. And it would do you good, as well as help those that would receive the benefit of your gift. Now, I've said all of this in case you're here today and you're one of those people. If I've been talking about you this morning, well, I wouldn't know it unless someone else told me. I didn't know you were coming, right? I didn't prepare this just for you, but I'm glad that you're here. I don't believe you're here by mistake. I believe God has brought you and that he has something to say to you this morning. He's not talking just to you this morning. I mean, he has something to say to everyone who's here in this room today. Yet what he has to say to you will be for your good. And it is almost certainly not what you are probably thinking. You're going to hear about a gift which was given by a group of people, some of whom were probably just like you at one time in their lives. And few, if any, were wealthy. Rather, they were ordinary, everyday kind of people making their way through this world. The thing which made them different 
is that they had put their faith in what Christ did for them on that cross when he died in their place to pay for their sins. And they were living out that faith day by day, not perfectly, but to the best of their abilities. We won't talk much about the obvious result of that gift. That is how it made a difference in the place where it went. Instead, we're going to talk about those things which are true of what we might call Christian giving. Things which are not immediately obvious. And some of which we wouldn't know unless God revealed them to us. Knowing them, however, um, is a cause for joy. And it may help us understand Christian giving a little bit better. And there's more that we're going to be able that could be said about this than we're going to cover today, but we're going to make a start. We're going to go from the gift to the glory. I, I hope on the journey from the one to the other, we all may have a better understanding of the matter of giving. We're going to begin in the same book we've been studying throughout the summer, the book of Philippians. So I want to invite you to join me once again in Philippians chapter 4. Where we're going to be looking at verses 14 and 20, through 20. Of course, the text will be up on the screen on either side of me. Paul is here writing to his friends in the city of Philippi. He started a church there a, a number of years ago, and many of the people in that church had come to Christ, that is, had become Christians through Paul's ministry. And their lives had changed as a result of it, and they continued to live out their faith over the years. Then they heard that Paul was in prison, that he was facing a possible death sentence. Not, you understand, because he was some kind of a criminal, but simply because he was a Christian. And they knew he was in need. In those days, the state didn't spend money on prisoners, at least not very much. And if you were in prison and there was no one to help you, you were in a very bad way. And so they loved Paul and they sent someone to help him and they sent money to meet his financial needs. Paul has already mentioned this in his letter, but now he's going to talk more about the gift itself. And it's here that we begin to see Christian giving in a different or better light. Actually, we're going to see seven things which will help us to understand it better. The first thing we see from this passage is that when we give from our heart as a Christian... We're proving the reality of our love. Now this is a little difficult, the text, but it's not too hard to follow. So stay with me and look at verse 14 where Paul writes um, about the gift that they sent him. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul tells them that they've done a good thing by helping him and, and by it they're sharing in his troubles. That's kind of unusual, isn't it? I mean, that whole thought. Don't most people feel as if they have enough trouble of their own? Most people try to avoid it, don't they? Their own, if they can, yes, but especially other people's trouble. When is the one time when you're willing to share in someone else's problems? Right. (laughs) It's when you really love them. See, when you love someone and they're in trouble, you want to help them. 
You're willing to get your hands dirty. You go out of your way for them. You give of your own resources. You may even be willing to die for them. Uh, Families are probably the most common place where you see that kind of thing happening, but there are others. Our servicemen and women risk their lives because they love this country. Many of them lay down their lives for it and for other people in their own company. They may not talk a whole lot about love, but that's what motivates them. And if you take our soldiers and sailors as an example, we see that there is an emotional component to their love, certainly that. But it's also very clear that there's a whole lot of choice and decision in it. They feel love for this country, but they chose to serve it. And that's what real love does, you understand? It not only feels, but it chooses. And where there is trouble, love chooses to share in it, however it can. Now, Christian giving goes one step beyond that. It is an expression of love. Sometimes we feel the love and we choose to share in the trouble with others. But sometimes we don't feel the love. But we know we should. And we know Christ does. And so we choose, in spite of the lack of feelings, to share in the troubles of others. And and though the feelings are not always there, it's still genuine love because we are choosing to share in the troubles and trials of others. See, our giving, when it's from the heart, when it's Christian giving, is proof of our love as we're willing to share in the troubles of others. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. The second thing we see is that Christian giving is a demonstration of the genuineness of our faith. And again, this will require a little bit of processing, but listen to what Paul says in verses 15 and 16. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent to me aid more than once when I was in need. You see, Christian giving is a demonstration of our genuine faith. The Philippian church, right from the start, gave to Paul's ministry. They began giving when they first came to faith. They gave when Paul was no longer with them. They gave when he left their entire territory. They gave when no other churches were given. They even gave when Paul was at another church who should have been supporting him. They gave whenever they knew of a need. The Philippians' faith was real, and so it continued over time. The seed that was planted bore fruit. It wasn't uh, snatched away by Satan. It took deep root, and it lasted. The soil of their heart was not rocky soil. It wasn't choked out by the weeds, the concerns of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth. Their faith was real, and it was seen to be real because it stood the test of time. It bore fruit. You know that saying. The challenge, really. Put your money where your mouth is. Even the world understands if you 
really believe in something, you will invest in it. You don't think believing in God requires less than that, do you? Now we have to stop right here and make something really clear. God does not need your money. God doesn't need anything. What God wants is you. He wants your heart. And if he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't want your gifts. Unless, as we said, you're trying to give him your heart through your gift. The person who did that isn't really handing God the money. They're, they're putting their heart in his hand. Which brings me to something else that we really need to be clear on. That we need to really understand. You cannot buy God's love. Not by your giving or your good deeds or by going to church or by getting baptized or by obeying a set of rules. The Bible declares that God already loves you. He has already, if I may say it this way, put his money where his mouth is. He demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die on that cross to pay for your sins. And you cannot buy that love, that salvation. But you can receive it. You can go to God in prayer and confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness and tell him you'll follow him. And if you do that, he'll make you his own child forever and ever. And you will know firsthand his love and it'll change you. Everything will be different, including how you think about money. You will never be the same, but then you won't ever want to go back to the way it was before. Christian giving, giving that comes from the heart, comes from a genuine faith in God. And faith always expresses itself in acts of love. Without love and faith, there can be no real giving. If you don't have that faith and love, nothing else I'm going to say to you will matter much to you, except in one way. There's power in the Word of God. And if you keep listening, you might find your heart changing. And if you happen to be in that place today, let me tell you what Jesus would say to you if he were here right now. He, he would say, be careful what good will it do you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your very self. Eternity hangs in the balance and it is right around the corner. Christian giving comes from a genuine faith in God which always expresses itself in love. The third thing we learn about this, and we're going to move more quickly through the remainder of this, is that our giving adds to our heavenly rewards. So verse 17, we read, Not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. Now those of you who have been with us through this study know that Paul has learned the secret of being content in any situation. And what's important to Paul here, uh, because he loved the Philippians, because they had been his friends and stood by his side for years, was that it would be credited to their account. 
not the gift itself, to him, but what would be accredited to their account. In other words, their heavenly rewards would be increased. Now what might surprise those outside of the faith is that we, that is we who believe, we don't talk a whole lot about the rewards we're going to get once we are in God's presence. I mean, we do talk a good deal about heaven because we want everyone to go there with us and we don't want anyone to go to hell. But we don't talk much about rewards. First, because the Bible doesn't tell us much about them. We know they're waiting for us there and they're based on the way that we live out our faith, the way we live because of our relationship with God. And we know they have to be good because they come from God, but we don't really know a whole lot about them. And then what we want in heaven isn't our reward so much as God, as Jesus that we really want. And we love him and, and we love him, I know, only because he loved us first, but he did love us. And so we love him back and we want to be with him. We also know waiting in heaven for us are all those who believed in God, who went there before us, and following our arrival at some point will be those who believe in God who are still alive when we go home. We know there's a day coming where there are no more goodbyes when we will be reunited with our loved ones in Christ. And when for the first time, The heavenly family will be together, never to be separated. Beside things such as those, any reward we might imagine simply pales. In our thinking, it's hard to imagine anything better than that. But God is telling us that he has planned for us more, abundantly more than we can imagine. Out of his riches, beyond our ability to comprehend, God will shower us with rewards for the life well lived. Don't know what that looked like. But you're building them as you live faithfully for him. Christian giving comes from a genuine faith in God, which always expresses itself in love. Those things we do, such as giving, sharing in the troubles of others, are deposits in the bank of heaven, which we will get back with interest and more, and we don't know what they'll look like, but we know we'll be glad for them. The fourth thing we learn about Christian giving is that it abundantly meets the needs of others. And I'm going to add this for clarity's sake. Even, it does so even when it doesn't seem like it's enough to us. So listen to what Paul says in verse 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply or abundantly supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Christian giving meets needs abundantly. Now let's understand what's happening here in the text. Paul has needs have been met and he says amply or abundantly. He doesn't have an inexhaustible supply of money, but he has what he needs right now. At some point, we know that he would run out of that money. But right now, it's more than enough. And the gift didn't come from one person, but it came from many of God's people working together, and they shared in Paul's trouble, and together 
they met his needs. And lastly, we're talking about needs, not desires. So when we give, though it may not seem to us that we have given enough, we ought to have some confidence that God has things under control. Now, I I know there are some people who think that anything they do give is already too much. But you know, for the believer, we often wish we could do more. Yet God gives us our part to do, and he often combines our gifts with those of other believers, even those from other churches, even those from other parts of the world, so that only together can those needs be met. And then if we've done all that we can do, and it truly isn't enough, then God's going to provide some other way. And he, that is God, may have, well, let's call them other agendas, which the continued need will work into the life of the one who continues to be in need. You remember, don't you? That Paul had to go through both plenty and want to learn the secret of being content. Now we dare not excuse ourselves from giving if there's a need continues and we can do more. We should. But we can trust God to take care of his own children. You see, we, we are to meet the needs of the day as God allows and enables us. But there are more needs to be met. met. Even in Paul's case, if his imprisonment continued, the, the, uh, he ran out of his resources, but he trusted God to supply. He didn't have to worry about the future because he knew God had it. And the last thing to note about this is our needs can be met, but our desires are unending. All our desires will never be met until we put our faith in Christ, and then not until we see him face to face. Christian giving comes from a genuine faith in God, which always expresses itself in acts of love, which increases our heavenly rewards and always meets the needs of others according to God's pleasure. Add to that the fifth thing we learn about Christian giving from this passage. Uh, And can I put it this way? (laughs) It pleases God to no end. Christian giving brings real joy to our Heavenly Father. So look at the last part of verse 18. They, meaning the gifts Christians give, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What we give from our heart, we bring real joy to God. And Paul likens the Philippians' gift to him, to the Old Testament sacrifices the Israelites offered to God. He calls them a fragrant offering, and that's a phrase used often in the Old Testament to describe them. Now, that might make you and I think that fragrant offering, right, of the smell of a good steak as it's cooking on the grill. But God doesn't need to eat, and he never gets hungry. And when he said, that an offering had a pleasing aroma. It was when it was offered in faith. Not, not all sacrifices that people ever offered were acceptable, nor were they pleasing, nor had they aroma of faith attached to them. And those sacrifices not made in faith when people's hearts were not in them, when they were a mere matter of routine, 
that were pleasing to God. But whenever the people thought they could excuse their sin by their religious acts so that they could go out and do the same thing again as long as they kept giving those sacrifices, not only didn't bring God's blessing, but quite the opposite, they actually brought his condemnation. So, so you can see, can't you, that giving without love, which comes from faith, not only doesn't really do you any good, unless by it you're trying to give your heart to God, but it can actually cause you harm if you do it with bad motives. Of course, someone who's here today and isn't a believer and gives because they think it's the right thing to do or because it's expected, or even because they don't understand what God is like and what he wants from them, and they're not in any real danger. But someone who has bribery in their hearts is traveling down a dangerous path. For those of us who love God, however, knowing that Christian giving brings joy to our God, provides us with all the more reason to want to give. He loves us and he wants to reward us. We love him and we want to give to bring him joy. And that truth goes along with the others we've mentioned. Giving, coming from genuine faith, expressing itself in love, increases our heavenly rewards. And always meets the needs of others abundantly. The sixth thing that we learn from this passage about Christian giving is. When we do it consistently over time we gain confidence. That God will abundantly meet our needs. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. Giving out of love based on our faith in God. Brings a confidence a peace in our hearts that our God will abundantly meet all our needs. Understand how things unfolded here, okay? The Philippians knew Paul was in need. They're not wealthy, but their faith is real. And they love Paul, and so they acted. And they acted without any thought about themselves. And Paul, in return, tells them something. It's a promise, really. It's something they can rely on. And because it's in God's word, it's a promise to us also. And that promise is, because you give to God's work, you can be sure that he will meet all your needs. Giving is a genuine expression of love based on our faith in God. gives us a confidence in God that he will provide for our lives. Now listen. All the things that he said about Paul's need being abundantly met apply here also. The needs that God meet are the current with our time and there will be other needs as we make our way through life. And the supply might come from different directions and in different amounts. And sometimes God allows a need to continue, not meeting it, not just now, because he's working some good into our lives which requires that we go through whatever it is we go through. And we have to remember, needs can be met while our desires are unending. Only when we're finally with Christ will our desires be satisfied. In the meantime, we can say, I hope you're getting it. I hope you almost had it memorized by now. Christian giving, coming from a genuine 
faith in God, which always expresses itself in acts of love, increases our heavenly rewards. That giving meets the needs of others according to God's measure. It brings real joy to God, and it gives us confidence that God will meet our needs, again, according to his measure. Finally, the last thing we learn from this passage, our gift, when it comes from the heart, brings glory to God. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christian giving brings glory to God. And I guess this is something that cannot be of any possible interest to anyone except the believer. But we, we know what we were. We know where we started. We know our sin. We know how enslaved we were by it. And we know how we still struggle with it. And we know how we have put ourselves first in our lives. And we know God, out of his great love for us, provided for our salvation. He did it by sending his son. And once we put our faith in him, he changed us. We are not the same. Deserving only of hell, we are now headed for glory. Not because of anything that we have ever done, but because of Christ. So yes, we want our God to be exalted, to be glorified, and we are glad to do our part. So this morning, we have gone from the gift all the way to the glory. There's more, much more which could be said about it. But now we know God is glorified when we give. When the gift is an expression of our love for others based on our faith in God. It increases our heavenly rewards. It amply meets the needs of others. It brings real joy to God. And it gives us confidence that God will meet all of our needs according to his measure. I have to tell you, I think that's good to know. I hope you think so too. To God be the glory. All glory be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in this world in so many different ways. By the way we live our life, the things that we share with someone, the way we can touch their lives by uh, caring for them, talking with them, encouraging them, helping them, and also, Lord, by giving. Thank you, Lord, that the things that we do here are not for a loss, but they're for gain, for an eternal kind of gain beyond anything that we can imagine. And that uh, you, in your wonderful grace to us, allow us to be part of your work in our world. Lord, help us to embrace it, every bit of it, all of it, any way we can, whenever we can. 
And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you.